We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. To the Roadwire NBA podcast presented by FanDuel. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. It is Tuesday, January 2nd. Uh, as you can tell by my voice, I am still somewhat recovering from the New Year's weekend, somewhat just from this like two and a half year cold that I've had, uh, and I'm still battling hard every single day. Uh, but we're glad to be back. I, you and I haven't done a pod together in what, two weeks? Two weeks. I believe. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long two weeks. Uh, for us, for me specifically, uh, not having a platform to to discuss our hard-hitting NBA thoughts. Uh, but we have a lot to get to. Uh, we'll talk James Harden, talk about the Hornets, preview Isaiah's return uh, for the Cleveland Cavaliers tonight. But first, uh, you and I talked earlier about our respective New Year's. Nothing really to write home about uh, on either side, but are you someone who makes New Year's resolutions? I am not someone one who of those makes people? New Year's okay. resolutions. And like, uh, I was at um, a friend's apartment in Chicago, and they actually told me they are a Bobby Portis household rather than a oh. Nikola Miritich household, huh. uh, which I did not know. I guess I should have figured was a thing, but I wasn't really confronted. So the city that. of Chicago has been forced to pick sides. Apparently. Interesting. They're a Portis household. Was there any way that they marked this? Like, it, Is it like you walk up and down a block and some houses have like 
a cutout of Portis in the window. Others have a Miritich to kind of mark where they stand. I wish that was the case. Yeah, I just kind of straight up asked, hmm. but I don't know if that's I don't know. If yeah, I think for some people not. that could be an uncomfortable question. Right. Um, but I'm glad. I mean, do you have? Are you are you personally on either side of this, or do you feel like as a non-Illinois resident, you don't have to pick a side? <laughs> I don't feel like I have to pick a side, and I don't really know what to believe because even like I, f- I felt like all the news I was hearing was like Portis punched him in the f- Miritich in the face and then nobody really like took hard sides they, they were kind of like mm-hmm. Miritich may have had this coming and that's normally one of those things where if a teammate just punches another teammate in the face where they're like that's egregious you shouldn't do that and they kind of said that generally yeah and but no one you know they weren't the the, the pitchforks weren't really out for Portis mm-hmm. after that one um, but no, I don't. I don't really make New Year's resolutions. Okay. How about Me you? Me neither. God no. Okay. No, I think you're just setting yourself up for failure, right? I mean, <laughs> lower the expectations. Yeah. Right yeah. I don't know. I mean, if we year. absolutely do, you have any like NBA resolutions, whether for yourself or for like a team? Uh, I was saying earlier, I wish we would have had more time to to really, you know, dive deep on something like this. I don't know. There's probably a team that I should watch more that I just yeah. don't. I'd like I'd like Jay Crowder to be better. <laughs> if I could, if I could like. You know, kind of have a vicarious New Year's resolution. It would be that Jay Crowder plays better. Uh, probably fewer injuries. Uh, was it oh, you that okay. was telling me you read injuries are up, what, 25% this year in it terms was, of missed games? It was 20%, but that was like 15 games into the season. And I felt like it hasn't slowed worse. down at all. Or, yeah, it may have gotten worse. So I, I think no injuries is uh, a good one. Not only because we'd like to see players play, but because we have to type a lot when players oh, right. get hurt. Exactly. It, it's actually, yeah, we're the ones who are actually suffering yeah. here. When, when <laughs> Without players, a doubt. Especially these teams, you know, I guess we'll, we'll peel back the curtain on, you know, the glamorous life oh, that man. we live outside the podcast studio. But there are teams like, and they've gotten better about it, but earlier in the year, Atlanta was listing like seven <laughs> players as questionable every single game. And even though we knew they were going to play or weren't going to play, you know, we're contractually obligated yeah. to to write up these <laughs> these little updates on them. And now we're getting that with the Miami Heat. Justice Winslow, James Johnson, Deion Waiters. Yep. Every single game, questionable, day to day. And for the <laughs> most part, those guys, it doesn't really seem like are anywhere close to returning. And, and every team, it seems like, has been through that, whether it's happening right now or whether it was early in the season. I mean, Milwaukee just got Delhi back, just got yeah. Snell back. Those guys had missed chunks of time. Um, you know, I'm just any team, I, I guess, really has there, has there really been a team off the top of your head that you can think of that really hasn't been greatly affected by, by some injury. I mean, OKC, I think has been pretty healthy. George um, has missed a couple of games. Yeah. I think, I mean, New Orleans was missing yeah. Rondo for a while, but I feel like since they got Rondo back, they've been pretty clean. Yeah. I mean, the, with, with New Orleans, it's always Davis that you're worried about. And it seems like he's been nicked up which he has, but he hasn't really missed all that much time. No, he hasn't. So at the end of the day, they've been fine. I mean, if you just look up and down the Western Conference, Portland, I guess, for the most part, you know, Lillard has missed four or five games, but he's going to be back tonight. Clippers have been decimated. Denver's been decimated. Minnesota's been pretty healthy. That's true. San Antonio, you never really know. Like, they have a lot of guys on the injury report. Are they actually healthy and still listed on the injury report? Although they're the team. like it. They're the team like least least affected by injuries right. it, in general, so it really doesn't seem to matter whatsoever. No. Um, although obviously Kawhi missed quite a bit of time to begin the year. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of injuries, let's uh, let's talk Harden. So over the weekend, James Harden uh, tweaked his hamstring against the Lakers, and and that's a game that 
you know, over a, ho- a long holiday weekend, um, I didn't watch a ton of live NBA, not as much as usual. No. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm looking at box scores on, on Monday morning and you're seeing Houston wins a game 148, 142. You know, Harden plays 41 minutes in that game, you know, has 40 points. Like, yeah. I, I never in my mind did it click that he might have been hurt. And, right. you know, until you start reading Twitter later in the day. Um, and as of as of yesterday, Monday, that is, it, it sounded like, okay, he's probably going to miss about two weeks, maybe a little longer. And then come to find out this morning is being reported he could miss, you know, up to six weeks. So, you know, being without your your best player and arguably to date the uh, the NBA MVP for two weeks is, you know, something you can live with, especially given what we just talked about with all the other injuries in the league. That's pretty minor. Six weeks is is another story entirely. Yeah, if it was two weeks, I mean, that, that would just be a blip on the radar mm-hmm. for this team, obviously. And I, I still feel, like, good about them relatively speaking because they have chris paul and eric gordon has proved to be a like a pretty good player when i mean paul was out gorgon did a lot of work and i'd like to think he can can step up his game when hargan's out but um i mean they don't really have a lot of depth on their roster and d'antoni is um just as egregious as tom thibodeau as far as you know he's gonna have to play guys 42 minutes a night like ariza i don't think he's ever gonna sit down um and yeah i think um you know, I'm not worried about them like playoff seating wise because I think they're the second best team in the, I mean, in the conference without a doubt. So I, I think wherever they end up in the playoff race won't matter necessarily as far as their competition. I mean, it might matter if they end up playing OKC or something like that, but um, I don't know. If Hargan comes back and they he does fine, I think he could still win MVP. That wouldn't worry me. I don't know. That's That was my first thought right away. Um, and I was. When I was with some friends yesterday when we we kind of collectively found out the the extended timeline news and you know my my friends know that I've in the past have been partial to to a certain forward for the Cleveland Cavaliers and right away <laughs> one of my friends is like this just maybe hands LeBron it might the MVP and it, it kind of might I mean it's not that LeBron wasn't a candidate either way but you know I, I think in, for a lot of voters it was probably going to be splitting hairs you know, between LeBron and Harden at the top. And, and certainly there, there are other candidates and, and guys like Kevin Durant, who especially in the last three weeks has, I think, kind of forced himself into that race. Um, but it was, it was kind of LeBron and Harden, it felt like, at the top. And LeBron never gets hurt. And to be fair, Harden really doesn't get hurt either. I think he'd only missed two combined games over the previous three years. Um, so it's yeah. not like this is ever anything that's kind of been on the radar. But, you know, if, if the difference is... LeBron plays 78 games and Harden plays 62 games. Mm. I think to me that's probably enough that that some voters would knock him. You know, I'm 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 trying to bring up, you know, the fewest games played um, by by an MVP winner. Oh, I can't imagine it's anything in modern in the modern NBA. There's no way anyone's won it missing more than 10 games. Uh, I would, yeah. I don't. I have no idea. That's actually an interesting thing to bring up. I'm. The LeBron's MVP race will be really interesting when we're going to talk about Isaiah mm-hmm. Thomas coming back later and how that kind of affects what the team does and LeBron's stats overall because I assume Thomas can handle, you know, some some of the ball right. handling. That's true. Um, but I don't know. And, you know, Hargan's MVP case was already a little dampened by, like, Chris Paul being there and um, the strides they've made having Chris Paul. Mm. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I still feel like he could win it, but I agree with you. Like, I don't, I don't know who else would 
win it at this point besides uh, Harden or LeBron, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, unless you're going to give it to, like, Durant. And yet the Bucks haven't won enough to give it to Giannis. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I'm as, I'm as much of a Bucks homer as anyone right. else, but, like, I, I wouldn't give the MVP to Giannis. No, and so Basketball Reference has an MVP award tracker tool, and it's far from perfect, um, but it, it takes into account, you know, numbers as well as kind of past voting trends to, to predict, you know, the likelihood of each candidate. And right now it's Harden 1, LeBron 2, Giannis 3, Durant 4, Kyrie 5. And I think, I think in a lot of ways, given the injury to Curry um, and some of the other injuries around the league, slow start in OKC, like to me, that's, that's a pretty, pretty close to unanimous top five in some order. Yeah. For, most, for 90% of the voters, I think those are the guys in their top five. You can make a case for Davis. You can make a case for Cousins. But to me, those two guys are in the same boat as Giannis, where, yeah, the Pelicans are, are in contention for the playoffs. Yeah, Milwaukee's probably going to be a playoff team in the East, but has Giannis been so, so good that it's enough to offset a team that might only be two or three games over 500 by the time the season's over? I don't know. Yeah, you should probably be, I would imagine, I don't know. And yeah, in addition to the, how many times, you know, the games played, um, you know, fewest games played for MVP, like how many times is the MVP below like a fourth seed team? It happened with Westbrook right. last year, obviously, but that was, I mean, that to was To me, historic. that felt like that's an exception, right? Because right. it was the triple-double year and the, the exception moving year and things like that. I think also Golden State being the team that they are and the roster that they are has in some ways eliminated the the quote-unquote like punishment that an MVP candidate would get for having a good supporting cast. You know, for example... LeBron didn't win it when he went to Miami. Um, right. You know, there's probably, you know, Durant very well could have won it last year if he didn't get hurt. And, you know, even talking about Chris Paul coming to Houston. Like, in the past, five years ago, Chris Paul coming to Houston would eliminate James Harden from right. the discussion. He, would, he has so much help now. You know, of course he's playing well, blah, blah, blah. But when there's another team out there that you can point to that has even more help and has MVP candidates, you know, I don't think you can put Harden in that same class. Yeah. Um, also, I have the list now of fewest games played. Okay. So the fewest ever is 49, uh, which was in the lockout year, 98-99. So Carl Malone, um, congrats to him, 49 games, MVP. Um, Bill Walton in 77-78 played 58 games. So that's got to be the record, although, you know, that's, what, 40 years ago? Yeah. So depending on how how, how you want to classify that. LeBron played 62 games in 11-12. That was another lockout year. Right. Um, so if you want to talk, quote-unquote, modern basketball, 2000-2001, Allen Iverson won it playing in 71 games for the Sixers. Okay. So basically, you got to play 70. You see, I think 70 is kind of the unofficial baseline. Everyone else, you know, after that, every other MVP winner after Iverson, um, you know, if, if you're looking at it by games played, has played at least 71 or more. And most, you know, the vast majority of this list uh, has played at least, like, 78. Harden will be close to that, right? He'll be like 65. If this is like his only injury, so I think right. he'll be borderline. Um, yeah. And then if you look at, I mean, his case will just come down to like what team's record was when he played, even what, especially when Chris Paul didn't right. play. And then you're going to have to go way deep into those. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, And I, and I could like kind of, the thing is I could see it going to Durant because he did, like he was dominant without Steph Curry for a while yep. and without Draymond for a while. He was kind of carrying... Um, the Warriors and, and keeping them in the number one seed, but I don't think his numbers and what he's done is any 
decidedly better than what LeBron has done this right. season. So. And I think the gap between supporting casts is, is as big as oh, it's, it's ever been. Yeah, it's huge. You know, I get, not only has, and we'll see maybe what Isaiah brings, but not only did the Warriors get arguably better and at the very least stayed the same from last year, but Cleveland got markedly worse and LeBron's numbers have improved. Durant's numbers have improved, but, you know, not demonstratively. And, and I think, yeah, I mean, if you're talking about guys that, that would get, you know, kind of knocked for their supporting cast. It's the guys that that's on the the pinnacle team, the yeah. Warriors, not the not not guys like Harden and LeBron. Um, do you think does it hurt Harden at all um, that he's kind of going out? You know, assuming let's say he misses four or five weeks, the Rockets had lost five straight before squeaking by the Lakers. You know, in a game where they allowed 141 or 142 points to the Lakers, uh, Harden individually had played well in those games efficiency wise not so much you know he had had the eight turnovers against boston the end of that game with marcus smart um i mean if you want to look at this purely from an mvp perspective like maybe not the the sweetest taste you know in the mouth in the mouth of voters if he's going to go and miss five six weeks here yeah but wasn't i mean capella was out true for most of those games i think he's capella has only played in Three games right. since the he 16th. missed the Clippers game, the Boston game, and the Washington game. Yeah, so I mean he he's a huge I mean he's a huge part mm-hmm. of what they do and and but that's you know and that so I don't know if that necessarily knocks Hargan's MVP because like I mentioned before I mean their their rotation is their team is so shallow that if they lose a guy like Capella, um, you know it's it's going to be really right. tough for them. Well, their rotation is so shallow that they had to just pull Gerald Green off the street. They did last week, and now yeah. he's playing like twenty five minutes. Well, guys, did you see guys hair braided to look like the R in the Rockets? Did he? Logo? It was wow. impressive. It was it was really well done. Something I wish I could do. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't, don't think that's ever going to work out. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, I think I guess to answer my own question, I, I don't think we'll be sitting here in May or June and look back and it's like, man, if, if the Rockets hadn't dropped those five games in late <laughs> December, this would have been Harden's MVP. I think I really think this. If he does miss four plus weeks, I think this probably knocks him out of the MVP, which which is not great from a, from an NBA fan perspective. But I like I think Durant's going to make it a close race, and I think once Curry heats up, I think the Warriors have been playing their like B B plus game this year. And there's yeah. gonna be a point, whether it's for ten straight games, whether it's for thirty straight games, where they're they're gonna hit their stride and I think kind of remind people uh, you know, what which which team is clearly the most talented in the NBA. So looking at this hardened injury from more of a team perspective, uh obviously Chris Paul steps into it to more of a an, an alpha role for the next few weeks. Eric Gordon probably back in the starting lineup for the next few weeks, as was the case when Paul was out. Uh, but the Rockets now sit two games behind Golden State. Um, they're three games back in the win column, one game back in the loss column. You know, if you're without the number one points creator in the NBA for, let's say, 15 games, if he comes back in mid-February, are the Rockets still a top three team in the Western Conference? Um, you mean by the end of the season? I'm saying when Harden gets back. Oh, um, I think they could get passed by by uh, the Spurs and the Timberwolves, who are right behind them right now. Because mm-hmm. if the Rockets, I don't, I don't even know how to predict like how they'll do with James Harden out. Because it's such, I mean, and like you mentioned, it never happens. Like he's right. missed like two games, there's, and especially with with Chris Paul. Yeah, with there's Chris just Paul, not, there's not a sample to draw from here. But I I could see them falling behind San Antonio and, and Minnesota and ending up um as the as the four or the five seed 
um, by the time Harden gets back, especially because Minnesota is kind of hitting their stride right now. Um, although Jeff Teague just got hurt, um, but I think they're going to be they'll be okay. Um, I think their San Antonio is San Antonio, and they just got Kawhi Leonard back, and the re- the rest of their team is relatively healthy. Um, and then after that, it really just depends if Oklahoma City gets hot, um, which they they've played better recently. Um, and Westbrook's numbers are kind of jumping back up to what they were last season, um, which has been, um, which kind of came out of nowhere, but I guess I'm not surprised by it. I figured mm-hmm. he wouldn't shoot 39% all season and, you know, be below a triple double every single night, but I could see, yeah, I could see Houston going 500 and kind of just getting passed by, by a couple teams. Yeah. I, I think over the course of the 82 games, they'll, they'll get back to where they need to be. I, I do wonder though, like if this shifts, you know, their overall kind of goals or the way that they go about the season and, and even on a more micro level with, with Harden himself. You know, we've talked about he was not somebody that even though the Rockets were the top three team in the West last year, he was not missing games. He was not sitting out. Part of that was because he was chasing the MVP. But now, if in his mind he's out of this race when he comes back, does that mean he's he sits four or five games in the last month to, to kind of prepare and essentially try to avoid what happened, you know, in, in the Western Conference playoffs last year? That wouldn't surprise me at all, actually. I think I think I'm not sure he was convinced or that anybody on that team was convinced that they would beat the Warriors last year. I don't know. Um this year I think they think they have a shot. Right. And that's not without like I don't think that's unrealistic. I mm-hmm. don't think it'll happen. But like they have a their team is built really well and they have a lot of good wing defenders. Um, and obviously they have t- basically two elite point guards on their team. Um, so I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he rests more, um, especially towards the mm-hmm. end of the year. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting too, because of this losing streak before the injury, but you know, you rewind two weeks ago, the articles and the podcasts and everything else around the league were, look, we have to start to discussing like how close is Houston? Could they beat Golden State? You know, and you, you kind of pe- people start going through the hypotheticals and then they lose five straight. Now Harden's out. And I think that's going to kind of quell that discussion for a while. But, you know, on, in the long run, maybe that's good for Houston. I don't know. I mean, I, I think there there was, you know, like you said, going into last playoffs, there was not any talk of how close is Houston. If anything, it was more how close is San Antonio to Golden State. Yeah. And even in this, 30 odd game sample you know half of which has come without Paul now we're going to get some without Harden I think I mean they've shown enough to at least make me think you know this is going to be at the bare minimum of the type of series that we've seen between Golden State and Cleveland where Mm -hmm. no one expects the Cavs to win but it wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world you know if had Cleveland was it game two or game three Corver missed that open three at the end that, that that would have changed the whole series and you know it would it would have been shocking if Golden State lost, of course. But, you know, I mean, we've seen Cleveland kind of topple this monster in the past, not this iteration of it. But I think Houston's shown just enough through these first couple of months that, you know, maybe they proved to themselves, if no one else, that that they're at least in the same or a similar class to Golden State. Yeah, I agree with that. Let's take a quick break so I can talk about FanDuel. It's fantasy basketball for everyday fans with new contests starting every single day. That means no busted seasons. There's something for everyone on FanDuel Tons of contests to choose from starting at just $1. All you have to do is pick a contest, select your players, and watch your score in real time. Over 2.5 million players have won a cash prize playing on FanDuel. To take advantage of our special offer for new FanDuel users, you can sign up today at fanduel.com rw. You'll get a free 
six-month Rotowire subscription with your deposit on FanDuel. And again, all you have to do is visit fanduel.com slash RW. Void where prohibited. Okay, let's t- let's talk about the Hornets. Um, I'll, I'll let you lead this one because hopefully you have more thoughts on it than I do. But, <laughs> I mean, the Hornets have kind of quickly devolved into almost like a Memphis of the East situation. Yeah. They're really not all that much East of Memphis geographically, but no. <laughs> in terms of wins and losses, I mean, they're 13 and 23 Memphis is 12 and 25. Um, and, and what I mean by comparing those two is they have 13 wins and they're not in a position where like the bulls or the Hawks or the nets where they're in a clear, clear rebuild. This is the team that came into this year trying to make the playoffs just as Memphis did. Yeah. I thought they might be the, like the f- sixth seed this year you could argue you could make a decent argument coming into the year that they could have gone as high as four yeah maybe five if you really like Dwight yeah I thought four to six was was pretty reasonable and yeah I mean the Bulls are creeping up on them um that's well I'm sure we can get into that but um Bulls are only one behind in the loss column I mean I was looking through Charlotte and you know what all these guys are doing individually and their team stats and things like that and they have the worst effective field goal percentage in the league and they don't really, they're the 26 team as far as forcing turnovers. So they shoot really poorly and they force zero turnovers. And so that's really what's killing them. I mean, if you look up and down their roster, I guess I, I didn't really realize it at the time that they, I didn't think their floor spacing was like great at the beginning of the season, mm-hmm. but they have one rotation player shooting over 40% from three. It's Marvin Williams. Yep. And he, they only play him 26 minutes a game. After that, it's Frank Kaminsky at 35 and then you're jumping down to Jeremy Lamb, Kemba Walker, Malik Monk, who are all at 34. Mm-hmm. And none of that really, I mean, that's not good. You should have probably two 40% three-point shooters at this point. Um, and even their overall field goal percentage obviously isn't that yeah. great, like Last I just mentioned. Last in the league in field goal percentage. Yeah, I, they just can't They just can't make, they just can't buy a bucket. Like it's, mm-hmm. I, you know, and I, but yeah, I didn't hate how the team was put together. I just don't understand how this is happening. Yeah. I don't know if it's a Dwight thing because, I mean, I as much as I like to hate on Dwight, everyone else, because like he's having a, he's having a good he's year. He's having That's a good thing, year, statistically, yeah. But I don't know. He left the year after he left Houston. They turned into this elite defensive team, right? After Dwight Howard, I don't understand all that. So I really don't know what to make of it, other than they just don't mm-hmm. have enough shooting on their team, right? I mean, their three point attempts, you know, are down twelve percent. Uh, in terms of number of attempts percentage wise they weren't very good last year so nothing has really changed there but yeah I mean even though Dwight Howard is 32 years old and a shell of his former self he's still Dwight Howard and like if you're going to play him 30 minutes a game that in some ways requires you to structure things differently not necessarily structure things around Dwight like he would like and like was the case in Orlando and to some degree Houston and LA but it's just it's tough like there there's a reason that most teams that have these type of centers either surround them with four shooters which charlotte's not do no or you know do the robin lopez thing or the brooke lopez thing like both la and and chicago i mean before brooke got hurt and and more recently with robin you know 18 minutes some nights 20 minutes other nights like brooke lopez wasn't playing 38 minutes a game for that team and he and he's even someone who can space the floor i mean he's a good three-point shooter but the lumbering big you know veteran type of center it's it's just rare for that guy to be such a a big component of your team and it, and it does force you to play differently and if you're talking about like all-time bad players to put at the four next to Dwight Howard offensively <laughs> like the worst offensive power forward in the league arguably and Kid Gilchrist like I've, 
yeah, of course they're going to be, you know, 28th in three-point percentage and, you know, what are they, 24th in attempts? I mean, yeah. it's, it's I, a mess. I, yeah, I'm a little surprised Kaminsky doesn't play more at the mm-hmm. five. I mean, he's played more now that Cody Zeller was hurt. Um, but that's I hurt mean, them weirdly enough. Like, weren't they terrible actually, last year when he went out too? Yeah, um, that's a good point. I think this losing basically kind of started happening like in droves when Zeller mm-hmm. went out, which is weird because he was playing like what eighteen minutes a game. Yeah, when it's not like he's the guy that comes in and spaces things for you either. Yeah, I just I still feel like they had to do that trade. Like the the offer was so good, and I think like the contracts on their roster sort out to where, I mean, because they want to keep Kemba and they want to win for Kemba because if they they're kind of um, – the Hornets might be – I don't want to say backed into a corner, but you. I think Kemba is too old for you to tank and for him to still be young enough for it to be worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, So they have to like they have to do this win-now thing because they messed up on so many of their draft picks. And Kemba Walker is turning 28 basically by the end of the year. Um, so – you almost have to be in win now mode unless you're open to trading Kemba Walker, um, which is I don't I haven't heard anything about that, so I I don't even think that's on the table. But if I don't even know what you do if you're them in this yeah. scenario, they're like that's kind of going back to the Memphis comparison too. Like this is a you know a, a city that doesn't really have much of a history. Like I think there's no. probably that fear. And it's, you know, it's the state of North Carolina, you know, in some it's kind of secondary Indiana in some ways, you know, yeah. like it's not like people are just going to abandon this team, but there are other options such as, you know, two extremely successful college programs nearby <laughs> in that state. And I think there's probably, my guess would be a, a, a fear of irrelevance. Um, and obviously they're kind of bordering on that now with this team, but you know, Kemba Walker was, was in some ways the first face of this franchise. Yeah. You know, I would um, say so. At, at, yeah, at least this kind of second coming, you yeah. know, since since the Bobcats are back or whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, and to kind of to go away from that, even though he's, you know, he's by no means a, a future Hall of Famer or anything like that. But, you know, you don't want to go back to the Bobcats days, basically. No. And I think if you trade Kemba and you don't get something really good back for him, you're kind of in danger of doing that. And they're in a tough spot. I mean, he has one more year left on his deal, I think, for $12 million. I mean, he's been on one of the best contracts in the league um yeah so he's, even if if they put him out there it's you're you know i mean it's he's kind of basically on the same type of deal as eric bledsoe yeah but he's better than eric bledsoe i mean if he's available you're going to get offers it's just a matter of whether you really want to take that step and kind of admit that you're going to head into this rebuilding period and we've seen tons of teams i mean chicago maybe more so than any that just the you know the act of of fully entering a rebuild just is so daunting yeah Although it's, I mean, it's worked for Indiana. It's worked so far for, I want to say it's worked for Chicago, but like we're seeing how it is working for, for both these teams. And, um, I wasn't expecting to turn this into a trade Kemba Walker podcast, but let's do it. um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I just, I just don't know. They're, they've, I, I stand by what I say. I think they backed themselves into a corner. I don't think that's a result of the Dwight trade because I think the offer, they gave up virtually nothing for him. Mm -hmm. They got off Plumlee's contract. Um, but the team was kind of just a weird like mash of players to begin with, and then you kind of mm-hmm. just throw Dwight, who's kind of, I mean, recently just kind of been like uh, without a home. I guess. and no, everyone who's gotten him <laughs> like is like foster, I'm kind of over foster it. player. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and you know, Nick Batum hasn't been very good this year. He's one of my favorite players, and I hate to dog him, but I mean, percentage wise, he's basically 
he's struggled to shoot 40% these last two years. He's, uh, he's under 30% from three this year. Yeah, Still the elbow thing though. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I'm sure partially to blame. Um, but even, I mean, even since coming over from Portland, he's never shot better than like 34 and a half percent from three. Right. And, and obviously he has other contributions. I mean, his ability to pass and play make, uh, from that spot is, is nice, but you know, if he's going to be like your your number two, number three guy, and he's giving you ten points, five five assists, four rebounds, you know, like it, it's really not easy to to see what the issues are with this team, right? I guess. And which I could be a positive in some ways. Yeah, and I don't really hear anyone coming for Steve Clifford's head, like no, as far as like right? the I coaching. Mean, I you know, like I I've, I've never had a problem with Steve Clifford. Yeah, I I don't know much about him. Like I'm not going to sit here and pretend like right. I like I mean he's, know his I, schemes and everything front to back, but. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you look at this roster, we maybe view it in a different lens now than we did three months ago. It's like, you know, maybe this could be a 500 team, but I, I don't think this is, you know, Steve Clifford just mailed it in with this roster or anything like that. Um, well, let's let's look at some potential Kemba destinations. Okay. So like, let's say we, we come to February just before the All-Star break and, and Kemba's available. Um, you know, there's not, there's not that many big names that if you're a team like Cleveland and you might be looking to deal a certain Nets pick this <laughs> this uh, winter. You know, like, if DeMarcus Cousins isn't available, I don't know who else is. Kemba, probably not really a target for them, especially if Isaiah's healthy and it just really wouldn't make that much sense. But, what you know, what other type of team would be maybe looking to add him with the, with the belief, and, and I guess, you know, if they want, since he's under contract, that he'd be back through next season? Yeah. You know, I don't know. I mean, Utah is interesting to me. Yeah. Um, cause I, they probably aren't as high in Ricky Rubio as they were when they got him. Um, and I think Kemba and Donovan Mitchell will be really interesting. Um, and Rodney Hook at the three, um, although Kemba may be more of a fast paced player. I don't know if that would, I, I don't know how much that would work, but I'm not sure who they, what Utah would give up other than like picks and maybe like that just hand over Axum. Yeah. And I, they don't. Derek favors right. but that that creates other issues and the thing with Charlotte is there's not there's no reason to get rid of Kemba other than just he's gonna walk after next year do you think uh Denver would do it that was the team and I was gonna send say. over like Jamal Murray basically right yeah I mean if you're Denver I don't know if Kemba is like exactly the right fit for that system but in terms of talent I mean clear upgrade over Murray you're pulling the plug on Murray, of course, um, if that's something they're comfortable with. He's been playing better of late. But, I mean, that's the type of team that would make a deal like this, a team that's two games over 500 right now that's looking for that piece to jump into the top four rather than be knocking on the door. That's, I mean, if, if you're just looking from a peer, like which team needs a good point guard standpoint, I think Denver makes sense. Detroit, maybe. Detroit, yeah. Um, Detroit. Detroit is just so weird because I don't know what – what they would send back like you have a lot of like kind of average assets you know and you, they don't have you know they're not going to have a top 10 pick next year yeah it that could end up being like a a Kemba could end up being like a three-team thing but the thing yeah, is like he I is would be. he is so much older than like I even really imagined I want to say Kemba? imagined him to be yeah 27 like 27 but like 239 days so yeah. he's he's turning 28 and so he's He's like mm-hmm. in his prime right now, but a team that would get him probably would want to have him and then have him for like three or four years, I would assume. And because it's kind of he's like that win now age almost like yeah. a team looking to compete three years from now gets nothing from Kemba Walker. Right. So 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, <clears throat> I, I don't think if you're looking at the standings in the East, you know, Boston's a no, Toronto's a no, Cleveland's probably a no, Detroit, like you said, that that one would make some sense, but you know, you might have to find a third team willing to take Reggie Jackson yeah. in that scenario and 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 give up a pick. Milwaukee's a no after the Bledsoe deal. Miami's a no. You know, I mean, Indiana could upgrade, although I, I mean, Oladipo Ma- and Kemba together is not the greatest combination. Miami has the pieces to, like, just send a bunch of just stuff back and for the Hornets to be like, we're just trying a whole new team. Like, Yeah. I but just don't know if Miami wants him. You know? I just, like, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Goron's kind of having a down year, so I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on there. And how about um, Philly? <sighs> that would be a bizarre move, and not one that I would advise them to make. No, it would be interesting, but I, who, they wouldn't give up Fultz yeah, for him. Fultz. So I, I'm <laughs> on the record as saying I, I don't think Fultz should be off the table in certain discussions. But right. It's, because you're getting there. Let's talk about Fultz quick. So okay. the Sixers announced. Uh, I don't. Did you write the note on this, or I think maybe I did actually. Uh, yeah, the Sixers, in their typical fashion, um, announced this morning that I'm trying to pull it up because they use very specific wording in in their latest update on Fultz. <laughs> Let's see. Okay, so there's a team release. It says, and I'm quoting: Philadelphia 76ers guard Markel Fultz has been cleared to begin the final stage of his return to play program program consists of gradual reintegration into team practices and training complemented with additional conditioning work to support fitness readiness for gameplay that, so, that means nothing and to the, me. fir- the first response <laughs> to this to the sixers tweet uh, is from some random twitter account that says how many lawyers did it take to write this <laughs> which is exactly what i thought too it's like, this is just this is not saying anything like no return to play program like isn't every program a return the to goal of return to play yeah yeah so this is just fancy wording to say that basically i think they're like all right it's been a month we haven't said anything we just got to get something out there we said we were going to say something and like i'm sitting there writing the note on this and i'm like should i say he could be back in a week should i say he could be back in two months like i really don't know i think in my mind if, if they went as far as to issue this he'll be back within the next month um I can see that, yeah but like if and this is completely hypothetical and i don't think the sixers are even considering trading him but if you could get, you know, I think it was Bill Simmons like a, a month ago wrote a column on just trades that should happen or something like that. He does know, that. A very yeah, a article. <laughs> and the the trade was like send him to Phil or send him to Portland uh, for a deal centered around, I think it was McCollum. Either, it was either McCollum or Lillard. I want to say it was McCollum. Okay. And I don't hate that. I don't know. I mean, if I'm poor, if I'm a Portland fan, maybe I wouldn't like that. But you you kind of have to look at it like as from an opportunity cost perspective, and it's. You, you have a known commodity in C.J. McCollum. You have an unknown commodity in Fultz. But what are the chances, knowing what we know now, that Fultz becomes a significantly better player than McCollum? Like, oh. like that's definitely in play, but oh, if I was, bet on that? If I was Philly, I would do that, I think. I mean, that's easy for me to sit here right. and say, yeah. like, the first second you introduced the idea to me. But, um, yeah, that's one of those trades where I'm not sure why. I'm confused as to why Portland would do it. Because I think that it's just yeah, I mean you're just creating another guard on guard problem. Yeah. You know, if the if the if the thing was we can't play Lillard and McCollum together, I don't know how you could do Lillard and Folds. Yeah, and they're already struggling enough with yeah. overpaying guys and the the offense isn't clicking and everything like that. But yeah, I mean the the idea itself is like do you you could trade Fultz for a guy who mm-hmm. is safer and maybe has a lower ceiling right. overall, but right. the team is good enough now to where you know because they're probably i mean if 
it really just obviously depends on Embiid because they just lose games when Embiid doesn't yeah. play. But assuming Embiid plays, you know, they're, I mean, they're, they are close to being a playoff team. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of weird to say, but they have the luxury right now of waiting for Fultz. You know, yep. they don't they don't they have like two other blue chip assets where all of a sudden Fultz is this afterthought, even though he was you know regarded in the same same way, I guess that Embiid and Simmons were. It's just it's kind of tantalizing to look back and think like, what could they have gotten? You know, we're talking about trading Fultz. Like, what if you just look at him as a number one pick? Like, if they if they had said to themselves back in June, we're just gonna you know. Just trade the pick. Yeah, we're just going to trade the pick. What could we get for him? Obviously, they didn't know that this whole situation would unfold. And there's a whole other scenario where they take Jason Tatum and they're undefeated <laughs> right now. Yeah. And we're, we're talking about them, you know, as the team that could beat Golden State. Um, it's just kind of a shame. Like, I, I don't really root for Philly at all, but I, I really wanted to see Fultz with these guys. And, like, I thought, I really genuinely thought he was going to step in and be, like, a 15-5-5 five and five guy as a rookie. Yeah, because he makes sense to me as, like, yeah. their as their point guard with Ben Simmons. It, yeah, it almost, it, maybe it made too much sense, and that's why this <laughs> is happening. That was the problem. Um, I mean, I <clears throat> I actively root for Philly because okay. I, love the, I love Sam Hinkie and everything he did there, even though he was um, mm-hmm. exiled uh, by the NBA, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, it's, um, I still obviously have hope for Fultz. Like, I'm sure yeah. he's fine. I like, think so term. too. I, I'm definitely more out on him now than I was in June, but I, I'm, I honestly wouldn't even, it's tough to say again, that somebody doesn't root for Philly, but I don't think Philly fans are worried either. Nobody seems, it's yeah. almost become a joke. And I part, and part of the reason for that is that Simmons has been so damn good that it doesn't really matter. Um, but so we'll end on this. What are you, what are you expecting? Let's say Fultz comes back. February 1st plays, you know, for the most part plays every game for the last like three or four months of the year. What, what are you, what are you expecting to see from him? Um, I mean, you watched him a lot more in college than, Mm -hmm. than I did. So I'm going to, I'm just going to piggyback on you and say like, maybe like, yeah, 13, maybe 14 points a game, five assists. Cause I like, I liked like he was shooting like garbage, obviously. But when I watched him play, I liked how he played. I saw him make a lot of like good passes and good decisions. Um, so I think he'll be a good NBA player. But really, it's just a matter of like, will Philly even play him twenty minutes a game? Will they just like, yeah, fifteen minutes a right. night, no back to backs? Like, where are they even going? Yeah, do? that that's what I was. I, I should have phrased the question better. It's not like, what are you expecting him statistically wise? But like, do you? I mean. I'm, are we thinking like when he comes back? Are we gonna all of a sudden? We, is it gonna zap back to being the Fultz from Washington, or is it gonna be more of this like complete shell of himself that we saw for two and a half games early in the year? Uh, and there's no. I mean, I don't. I'm, obviously, neither of us have that answer. But sure. I mean, I I think he'll be like pretty strong like he was in college. Yeah. Because I don't think they'll play him unless he's a hundred percent. I agree, and I think he can't be any worse than he was, right? No. I don't know, unless he really is trying to change his shot, mm-hmm. and so he spends this entire season trying to use the change shot, and then he just why he needed to change said shot, you know? Like, well, there's a lot. There's a whole conspiracy surrounding whether or not he hurt the shoulder because he changed the shot, or vice versa. And but like, why we'll would he know. ever even consider changing the shot? I guess if there was some sort of shoulder pain, but it, it's not like it looked like any looked like every other normal it's nowhere near shot. as bad as Lonzo's right yeah like there was yeah, there was someone else who had needed to fix their <laughs> shot like no one was calling for maybe he got confused and <laughs> am I Lonzo ball? yeah <laughs> just completely forgot for two and a half months who he was okay well that'll wrap it up um, as always we are sponsored by FanDuel make sure that if you're playing DFS you're playing on FanDuel um, are you setting any lineups tonight uh yeah one 
I don't feel I don't feel great about it. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna try not to play LeBron and see how that goes. Oh. I know. But Beware. you know, Kevin Love's questionable. As of, yeah. as of right now, I think he's still questionable. I think he is as well. That post New Year's Eve illness yeah. that he has. Hmm.